do the thing and we're back welcome to recovery in the middle ages the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life love and recovery i'm nat uh, and i'm mike today part two of this naked mind nat's son turns the den into a movie theater and studies show that naltrexone can help meth cravings all this and more on a very special episode of recovery in the middle ages we're not coming into our ear, your ear holes this week yeah i deliberately <laughs> didn't say that so we wouldn't be <laughs> Why reminded didn't you of say it. that I, I, I thought it was our new tagline i don't know i think the ladies a, love that sort of it's thing. a little crass for my taste you know yeah. um very i'm very conservative as you know <laughs> yeah that's right most conservative guy you know so welcome back to it an exciting a very special and exciting edition exciting. it is episode number 23 and what that means is that we are almost to 24 oh so well, that means we're within spitting distance of 25 well which is, uh, <laughs> which is one hour longer than 24 oh, the day yes oh we almost have a day's worth of programming exactly and that i don't know why um i've been focusing on that so much but that's sort of been a goal in my head or these pet since we started, I was like, man, once we have 24 episodes, because we average about an hour, I guess. Average. Um, theoretically, you can um, you could listen to Mike and I discuss addiction in our lives for an entire day. I think we told them this a couple of weeks ago. I, I think I say this a lot. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that I say more than once and forget, and um, my wife reminds me of that. I'm so- why can't I? I'm on the stopwatch. I'm trying to reset. Okay, start. You know, I better make a backup copy of this because the computer is acting like a constipated old man. We're having a little trouble with the computer. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, and now YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we started posting. We started doing something on YouTube. And people have asked about YouTube in the past, I yes. re- if I recall now, correctly. It, what we are doing on YouTube is not that super exciting because um, it's really just our show that's available through YouTube with a, our logo. And you can, because some people listen to everything right. on YouTube. There's no performances. Right. There's we, no live stream. There's nothing. There's no <laughs> Nat and Mike coming right into your ear holes live. in your own living room on video. <laughs> the first row will get wet. Yeah, yeah. that isn't happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet, yet, yet. That's one of my yet. So it'd be cool to do uh, a YouTube-like show and get a set, and we could wear... And people would know what we look like. The Viva Vendetta masks, I was thinking, oh, we could wear. right. That would muffle our or, delivery. Or what was that movie where they all wore, like, presidential uh, face masks? One was Reagan. What was that? Um, That's appropriate. The skydiving ones. Yeah, so a very exciting <laughs> week. Uh, anyway, but uh, also find us on Twitter... Uh, tweet has a twat, you twit. You usually say that at the end. I don't say it at the beginning? No. This isn't going well. <laughs> um, and middleagesrecovery.com. Tell us your story. We are looking for people to type into our little online form. Give us a story, something to tell. We'll read it. It could be cool. It could be interesting. Um and uh, you could also message us on Facebook. Get me at natx at middleagesrecovery.com. Or Mike R. 
at middle ages at middle ages recovery and he will he promises to one day check I checked his email. the email like a few times uh, <laughs> the incomparable the lovely the talented Aaron Moore is going to be doing a new segment uh, with the show. Uh, still in development, but she's got a ton of great ideas. She uh, is going to basically be uh, our correspondent, our addiction journalist. She's going to use her knowledge and experience and her charming, sparkling personality to bring us the addiction hot chaff, mm. uh, which is all the exciting new things happening <laughs> that are going to... Uh, excite people. It's the recovered addict suburban mom perspective, and she's got some great ideas for guests. And I'm very excited for that. Not only that, I've, I've often but, thought that um, the local news should have an addiction correspondent. Don't you think? I I agree. You know, I think coming so. to you live from the alley on East 194th Street and Decatur <laughs> Avenue. Well, they sort of. Do you remember when uh, when Chuck D was like the. Uh, "Quote unquote" urban correspondent for the local news in New York in the nineties. I, I do not. That was I'll never forget. I was watching local news or something. This has got to be in the nineties, and I just remember. And now to our our um, man on the street, literally and <laughs> figuratively, sure. and it was Chuck D doing. Wow. I think it was like WPIX, you know, like or Channel Nine, trying or something. to get hip, with, getting with yeah. the scene. Yeah, <laughs> Is that exactly. What they were doing? Apparently, uh, running reruns of Family Matters wasn't uh, getting them enough credibility. <laughs> yeah, well. um, so. Uh, not only that, we've already got our first uh, new author of the new year, Michael P. Dineen. He wrote a book called Suburban Gangsters. It's an mm. action memoir. It looks nice and gritty. It'll be perfect for us. Sitting in the back of my car, waiting to be read. Right. Waiting to be read. Very, oh, it, you haven't? No, I haven't read it yet. I, well, and, and believe me, I'm in touch with, um, with Michael and um, told him we're doing Any Grace, and we've got a lot to do today, so I'm going to stop the inane chatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, our friend Sergeant Slaughter, my friend, the police officer. <laughs> is who, that what we're calling him now? Because yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's he, good. He, he's requested. Nod back to, to wrestling in the 80s and, and for he, those of you that right. remember that. And he was a big wrestling fan. And so we're going to do Ask a Cop segment. So basically, um, <laughs> we're not going to get in too much. How do I get out of this drug charge? Something, just <laughs> whatever you might want to know. Like, you know, did, did you ever want to know, like, if a police officer pulled, you know, pulled you over and saw an empty bag or something, how like, many twenties do I need to slip underneath my like license? That. Like, do, does this PBA card that my cousin gave me really get me <laughs> out of anything? You know, um, and so without getting into his background, he's going to remain just like as anonymous, anonymous as he can possibly be, and it should be pretty fun and entertaining. Uh, so please message us for your questions for a cop. Yes. Um, but they should not be like, ask a lawyer because cops are not lawyers. No. So legal questions, you know, say that know. for the, uh, for our legal team, there will be no ask a lawyer. Segment, I assure <laughs> no, you, we do not want to be disbarred <laughs> or at least you don't are sued uh, more importantly. Yes. Yeah, sued would not be good. Um, okay. I, I'd like to, to ask, uh, Mike about any exciting things that may have happened religiously to his family. <laughs> Is that, that's not a usual question. Well, I, you remember last week we discussed the, my son got into the Catholic high school and I had to go ask the Monsignor uh, if I could somehow wrangle a, a baptismal certificate for him to allow him to attend. So I I went down there earlier this week um, into the rectory 
and uh, which I had not been in since I was a boy, I, <laughs> I might add, uh, although it was purely... Were, were you on the uh, church cornhole team that uh, practiced in the rectory? <laughs> I was not down on my knees, if that's what you're implying, uh, that's uh, a horrible, praying, horrible but... Joke. Yes, it is horrible. I really hope he never finds this podcast because he is a nice fellow. And uh, so anyway, to make a long story long and not terribly interesting story short, uh, Father, I can't say his name, agreed to um, to baptize my 13-year-old son, despite the fact that he knows very little, if anything, about uh, Catholicism. Uh, it turned out he was a graduate of the same high school that I graduated from and that my son will be going to. So there is a, uh, a bit of a network thing going on there, even amongst the priests. It's um, called white affirmative action or something. Mm. And then uh, as a postscript, I go home and my 16 year old says that um, when he hears his brother wants to get baptized, he says, I would like to as well. Now <laughs> that's really interesting. It was. You and I said, okay. I said, you may have to go to a class uh, once a week and, he said, okay, if that's what's required. And I'm wondering what they did with my son and who this pious boy they replaced him. Although actually he, he and I have just been at our, each other's throats all week about the inauguration and politics and mm. Trump and Biden and so on. But, um, and then of course his the younger brother, uh, Ben also has decided he wants to get baptized. So uh, we got a threefer. What? Yeah. Uh, going on tomorrow that? at the church at noon. And wow. I, cause I kept emailing the priest going, can we make it a, can we make it a double? And he's like, sure. And Buy then two, get one free. When I go, can we make it a triple? He's like, the more the merrier. So See I, if I can know, get baptized. Uh, I'm sure you could if you just showed up. Yeah. I'm, I'm on senior. My podcast partner would also like to be baptized. <laughs> it would be good for the show. <laughs> it would be good for the show. Uh, I don't know. He, um, he was pleasant enough, the Monsignor, but I suspect he thinks I'm a little bit of a flake, which he would not be wrong. So does it um, cost per child ah, to be baptized? I asked. I said, uh, by what, the way, is there a donation? <laughs> and he said, there is no donation. Because I think he's looking at future revenue streams, you know, three additional Catholics, more so attendance it's a loss at mass. Leader. We call that know, a loss Yeah, leader. exactly. It's <laughs> get you in the door, get you in the door with the holy water. And then after right. that, it's, you know, I, I, I don't mean to make light of the, the whole thing because it's, um, you know, it's something the family's been thinking about for a while anyways. So religion you know. is very, um, special to most of us, you know, in general. Yeah. It's not something to, to screw around with, and uh, who knows? Maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I don't see how it could be a bad thing. How about that? No. I mean, the church has some eccentric views on certain social issues. But, but so do you. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> look at that. the trick is making them sort of dovetail with one another. But Right. And I think I think what most people who, who send their kids to schools like that, that, that don't agree with their religious thing, and I, I met a lot of them at the school I went to, um, they're really just saying, you know what, it's more important that this is such a great school. And if you have to, you know, pretend to believe in whatever, fine with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ran into a lot of that at the, because uh, I went to a, a Bible-hugging Protestant um like uh, Billy Graham's son went there type wow. of thing. It's like that kind That's of- That's pretty intense. Yeah. He was also kicked out of Franklin Graham. What did he do? Drugs. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I was among some of these very interesting people from all over the world. Like there was one kid who lived in my dorm that was like a prince of Zaire or something like that. Um, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so sorry about that. Um where were we at there? You were talking about your Catholic, Catholic, your Catholic children. So were they baptized or has it just been set up now? It's set up. It's noon tomorrow. 
So should should I come? Should I bring my whole family? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's uh, there's COVID precautions. Uh, also, I'll show up in a plague mask. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Um, I'll bring up the gifts. I did have to line up some godparents and stuff, and you know. That's yeah. It was within a week. Um, hi, by the way, yeah. what are you doing on Saturday? <laughs> Remember that conversation we had about uh, meditating and being a Buddhist? Yeah. Well, um, my kids are being baptized Catholic. Um, the church has a long and storied contemplative tradition that's very similar to that of uh, Buddhism. I like the word contemplative. Yes, it's one of my favorites. So I'd like to offer you congratulations. I, I would like to accept them. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm looking forward to. Greeting your children who will be reborn again in Christ's love. I don't think they'll look any different. I've had to run around and buy them like pants and shirts this week because they don't have any clothes other than sweatpants. Mm. Basically, because yeah. we, we, we're <laughs> so, horrible parents and never make them wear so like they're going to wear one of those kids' baptism outfits where it's like a white dress. I hope not. <laughs> if they if that's being provided by the church, if so, because I'm certainly not getting one. So that's very exciting. I'm I'm always happy when I mean secretly as a as a Protestant myself, I have nothing but good feelings toward Catholic Church, and um, I think <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> it's funny because I was I've been binge watching Oz, and if you don't know Oz, it was a show one of the first HBO series that was really like stood out. You know how everybody knows them for their great series now. Right. That was one of their it was first. was mostly about prison rape. It was all about prison. Prison rape, <laughs> prison dovetails drugs. dovetails with Catholicism. How exactly? Well, here's why. Because um, in one of the characters, he's from, I think, the north of Ireland, and he's an IRA member. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic priest in Oz, the um, Makata, the Asian uh, actor who does um, the priest, who's great. So, but he's like the main religious figure at Oz. Okay. And so just all of this Protestant Catholic, like, warring stuff, they bring in a new... Um, they bring in like, oh, Luke Perry comes in and he plays like this TV evangelist who like gets arrested for embezzling money or something oh, like wild. that. And so, but he's popular. And so the Catholic, so there's all this huh. in, in this season, in the fourth season, there's a lot of infighting between Catholic and Protestant stuff. Hmm. And it brought in the stuff with the IRA in Ireland. And I, you forget in some places and sometimes yeah, this deal. was a big Protestant Catholic. They yep. want, they think they're devil worshipers back right. and forth. Not so much on Long Island though. Not so much, but you know what? When I married my wife, it was a big deal to her mother and really to my parents. And like, we didn't think it was a big deal that she's Catholic and I'm Protestant. Right. But our parents' generation was like, my dad jokingly, and this is one thing he does is he'll jokingly see something he really means and then reads the room, <laughs> depending on the reaction, uh-huh. he'll laugh or yeah, not. Or doubles down. Or, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And, um, and he would say, you know, he, he would always make comments about, um, uh, about it. So, um, hmm. well, uh, the fact that he called well, it a mixed marriage. That's what I was yeah. forgetting. To I mean, he, the he, fact that both my wives are Catholic is just like random. It, it just no, like, well, there's I, a lot of Catholics. I didn't go out and seek them. It was not like even a consideration. It's about the same what religion. chance as you marrying a Muslim because there's so many of Catholics and there's like, how many Muslims are there and how many Catholics are there? In New York City? Just like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I wonder. One of the other things, last thing I'm going to say, because we have a lot to do um, about this, yeah. is um, in Oz, because I am binge watching Oz, mm-hmm. they sometimes watch uh, a, a trivia show, and I, I learn facts by watching the show that they're watching on Oz. That's meta. The trivia. Yeah. And one of the things with the questions was, um, where do, what country does the most number of people who speak English live? <laughs> and the answer is China. Really? 
pretty interesting. But that was the answer on a 20-year-old show. No shit. You a fictional trivia true? show. But it might, I think it might be. I don't know. <laughs> All of my facts I get from fictional uh, trivia shows. It's a good thing we're not journalists. And that is what I have to say about that. We are... I was going to talk about a little bit about... Um, what we did on uh, Martin Luther King Day yeah. at the day off, we turned the house into a um, turned the house into a movie theater, um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'm always struggling to get my uh, oldest son excited about doing anything, mm. and uh, and so when I get uh, get his interest, uh, I run with it, and uh, so it was really great. We spent the whole day turning the house upside down. Um, so that when my wife came home, there was a concession stand set up with all this candy I bought so he could run the concession stand. We moved, you know, the whole room around and set up a cash register and, uh, invited our, the neighbor friend Maddie over and great. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And Did so you eat all the candy. I, a lot of it has been eaten and mm-hmm. then I have hidden it. So only I know where it is. Right. Um, and that was Hiding a lot of secret fun. stashes around the house. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> I know it. Yeah, it's a, a little little disturbing addict behavior there. And the final thing I want to talk about in housekeeping, and I promise this is it because I'm very excited. I just applied for graduation, meaning I have enough credits. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have enough credits now to realistically project that I should graduate <laughs> after uh, excellent congratulations yeah so after congratulations I thank you so much I started this journey in 1996 uh, as a music major and I will finish as a an English literature bachelor I guess you would call it. all right so that's happening. I'm very excited. My new class is starting soon. And What's your final class? My final class is um, American Literature, 1865 to the Present. Oh. So there's Faulkner in there. It's the Norton Anthology of Literature, Volume 2, 8th edition. Gosh, I remember that book. <laughs> wow. I know I have it, too, somewhere, because I've taken this class in some form over the past. Like Almost all these classes, is like I, I, I remember. I had one of those where I had to take it like four or five times because I kept failing out of uh, school every time I would try. Right. Um, for me, it was like intro to psych. Like, for some reason, I could never finish that class. Intro to psych, yeah. For me, it was music theory too, I yeah. think. I could never pass that. Um, well, those are the days. But we are very excited to talk more about Annie Grace. Oh, are we there um, already? Wow. Shit. I'd like to get That there. was only 19 minutes of an Annie Chatter. Oh, do you want to do more? No, no, no. I've got plenty. Good. It's just there are so many bullet points. <laughs> it's such a great book. And, and we were talking about it throughout the week. Like, how much do we want to do? We could literally do another four episodes. Yeah. And I don't think anybody wants to to hear that but see it's weird i i usually when i read books i like read them and then i take you know notes i scribble in margins but i've adopted your way of internalizing literature by playing it through a speaker uh-huh. <laughs> so but as i'm listening to her i just sit there with my la- like because i used to take depositions mm-hmm. right and i would ask people questions and as i was asking the questions i'd be typing out their answer even though there was a court reporter sitting there right okay so that's kind of how i got used to processing information oh. people would talk i would just write it down so i listen to annie grace and i'm just writing and so it's great really, right? what i'm basically doing is re- rewriting the book yep. in short sentences that when i look back at them a you day would. later they make very little sense <laughs> <laughs> sort of like my deposition well, taking but that's why i'm here to make sense yes of it all. um right 
but we we finished last week's uh, with the question. We were talking about uh, Howard Stern's pain management doctor that was very famous. Well, Dr. John Sarno. Dr. John Sarno. We just couldn't remember the name, so... Thankfully, you wrote it down here so I could just read it as if I remembered it. Exactly. <laughs> but now you've broken the fourth wall. Yeah. We all know. That's okay. So, we're going to start with um, your first bullet point here, health effects of alcohol. Yes. This was really... And this is This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Part two. And um, part of the whole thing for her, like how she develops this foundation for you to change your way of thinking about alcohol is laying out all of these facts about alcohol that you maybe didn't know. I mean, everybody knows in the back of their head that drinking too much is probably not healthy, right? Right. All right. Although there is plenty of... um, uh, there, there are studies and there are things that show that moderate drinking may be healthy for you, right? What do they call it? They're like, it's not electrolytes. It's, um, uh, uh, what is it that's in antioxidants? Antioxidants. It's got antioxidants. Um, you know, spoiler, most of those studies are bullshit Mm -hmm. and you know, they're put out by like the, uh, alcohol lobby. Well, they're, (laughs) but the funny thing is the way that they're pushed out into social media at any rate, um, they are shared, with far more frequency than, you know, any sort of story that ever sees the light of day about the, the serious health risks for drinking regularly, even small amounts of alcohol. Those like articles the, tend not to be written. Like the cancer rate. The, I mean, the studies yeah. that show that even drinking one glass of wine per day increases your the cancer rates by like, I think it's 30%, but for it's... Women with breast cancer, it's 15%. Wow. For one glass a day. But, um, so... But the latest one that blew my mind was the statistic that twenty, roughly twenty five percent of heavy drinkers will develop cirrhosis of the liver. Cirrhosis of the liver. Twenty percent. Twenty five percent. So my thinking, my question, obviously, is what is a heavy drinker? And she doesn't really like go into that so much. But I did a little um, re- independent research. I used Google. You did, and I googled what is a heavy drinker, and <laughs> apparently there is a medical consensus. A heavy drinker more than four drinks. For men is typically defined as 15 drinks or more per week. So that's like two a day plus one, right? Right. Two glasses of wine a night plus one. For women, heavy drinking is typically defined as consuming eight drinks or more per week. Per week. Because their livers are smaller and you know. So that's like one drink a night. That puts Puts 90% of everybody I know in heavy drinker territory. And with a a one in four chance of developing cirrhosis. Isn't that crazy? It is. I, I mean, mean, and you mentioned cancer, so she she says that no amount of alcohol is safe, uh, and that light drinking also causes cancer. Uh, and binge drinking or daily drinking both have the exact same effect on cancer rates. So it's not like that's interesting. If you don't drink for f- five days out of the week, but you get shit faced for the other two, your your cancer rate is still elevated. That's why it's like you'll see people who've been drinking for forty years regularly, and they just seem fine. Yeah. But, um, well, we all know the smoker, right? The, the, you know, somebody who's 95 who smoked, you know, I, grandfather's uh, 95 smoked all the time. Didn't kill him. Right. Yeah, my mother-in-law, are, she's 76 and still smokes like a chimney. Yeah. But that's like a self-selecting group because the ones that died early are not around. Right. That's right. So, so obviously the 95 year olds that smoke, <laughs> there's very few of them. Yeah, you don't run into a lot. Cause the rest of them are dead. Right. Um, 
Like you very rarely meet an old crackhead, like yeah. someone who's been smoking crack for thirty years. They're out there, though. They are. There are. Met them. I don't understand that at all. It's amazing. Yeah, they should have an. There should be an award for that. <laughs> Something. <laughs> How you know? did you do that? Yeah. Uh, but I guess you know maybe there's some. Some people have protective genes or what have you, you know. Yeah, it's got to be something like that. I've list, I've heard a, a lot of um, speakers uh, say that, thank God for crack, because, you know, they might have been using heroin or, mm-hmm. or drinking for 20 years. And as, the, as soon as they discovered crack, it was two weeks and they were in rehab. Yep. So the el- elevator be- goes straight down <laughs> to the bottom. They're like, thank God I found crack because I, I could have died from something else, you know. I, I was able to keep up a pretty aggressive uh, crack smoking hobby for God, close to five years. Wow. Um, yeah. Five years. Yeah. That's about, about what I did. I put it together with, it was never the star of the show for me. It was always just a uh, booze was the star of my show. The star of the show was, was heroin for a very long time. And, but uh, the guy who I bought heroin from would always be like, you want hard? I'm like, you know, it's a frog's ass water tight. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's a good one. Because the answer of course is yes. Right. Yeah. Or is it? But, uh, you know, when I was working at a restaurant buying crack, like it was, it was horrible because I'd, I'd get paid in cash every mm-hmm. day. And the next morning I'd have to look for change to get the bus back to work. Right. And you're working. <laughs> right? So you're like, why the hell don't I? Oh, God, paying for paying for gas with change. That yeah. I find, you know, like, oh, I used to run out of gas. Yeah, know? me too. When I had a car, which was not all that often. Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy. I was in the depths of my uh, heroin addiction. And um, of course, uh, the uh, supply was way down. Not only that, but- You don't say. The, <laughs> it's <laughs> an island after yeah, all. It's true. But all of the gas stations were out. I don't know if right. you remember that. I do remember. You, couldn't, you could not get gas. And uh, I had to get to a town that was 20 minute drive. Um, and um, I just remember like somehow I had come up with a lie to get out of the house during Hurricane Sandy. I don't remember what I said. But like nobody was going anywhere. It was worse than the, the pandemic. Like nobody was moving because everything was broken. There was no gas. It was just <laughs> like a nightmare. Um, and uh, and I remember Mike. It was on E when I left. <laughs> and I'm like, there's going to be a gas station. And I'm driving to the place to to pick up. No gas anywhere. Signs up closed. I finally go to meet the guy get it leave the car running i'm like don't turn the car off you know the whole time yeah. i'm just so much stress right finally grab it finally come back like oh god i don't even uh, i don't know how my wife didn't just kill me <laughs> like i like when i came back your from, wife's from a saint that, honestly she really is it's it's a miracle but she she knew better than better than i that someday this would uh, be behind us that's great that people have faith. Thank God for that. You know. and, and in return, I will have faith in other addicts. Right. Right. That's what yeah. we're supposed to do. And Positivity. But I digress. Yeah, because alcohol reduces life expectancy by 10 to 12 years overall. Uh, and another thing that I found interesting was the idea that alcohol ODing can occur from continuous intake over time. So if you're drinking every day and yeah. every day and every day, uh, more and more and more, you can you know, poison yourself and pull an Amy Winehouse. Yeah. And I, I was interesting. Um, when I, when I learned, I think everybody assumed Amy Winehouse like overdosed on, I think when people hear OD, they immediately assume it's opiates, mm. uh, either heroin or pills. And so I was even, you know, sh- even being, you know, interest in recovery, 
um, I still immediately thought of that. So when I read that it was alcohol, acute alcohol intoxication, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. Why, why wasn't that a bigger story? Uh-huh. You know, I think I know why. Why is that? Because that would cast alcohol in a negative light. Yeah. People don't like that, you know, and it, people don't want to think about it. No, no, they don't. I don't know. I mean, despite the fact that alcohol kills 1,692 people a week, uh, far more than any other drug, but. Yeah. And, and, you know, all of her, all of her statistics and the studies, it's all very well researched. And when you, Mm -hmm. if you really want to find the source of one of these, what she's saying, uh, I recommend picking up the book. Um, we'll put a link again in our and show please notes. Please buy it through our link because we get a couple of yeah, we get pennies credit. to keep the light on, lights on. Yeah, and it literally seems to be pennies. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're working on yeah. that. Um, yeah, you know, like when I read this book uh, the first time, a lot of this stuff, like you'd think, you know, w- one of the the repetitive things that you hear in recovery is you can't think your way out of this. I don't know if you've heard that. I have um, heard it. I I was discount it mostly, but well, yeah, well, here's the thing. Like that was me. I was Mr. Overthinking. Um, I thought I was so smart, even though I hated myself and thought I was stupid. You know, I think most addicts will, um, relate to that. Like I really did think though that I could outsmart it and that these people are so stupid. You know, the first reaction you get to AA Mm -hmm. is like this, what is it with this cult and these stupid sayings and, you know, who are these people and what qualifies them? And you sit there and, Meanwhile, the whole time I was relapsing and relapsing. And meanwhile, uh, the schmuck that I thought was stupid was sitting there and he was sober, you know. So, there, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. There. I don't so, either. So, 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 what I'm trying to say is that um, when I was first getting clean, um, it was true that overthinking would not have worked for me because it wasn't. I was not coming to the right because my brain was so fucked up mm-hmm. from uh, from addiction, from use that I couldn't, you know, my thought process wasn't rational. So there, there is a, a point of time in an addict's uh, recovery where you don't want them thinking. I, this is my opinion mm-hmm. is that I don't, I think I can think of a time where thinking was a bad idea for me. And so I kind of, I get that. I get why people still say that where I draw a distinction is after a certain period of time where you've gotten stupid, you dry mm-hmm. yourself out, you start to, you know, part of repeating mantras like that um, is to get an idea that, is re, you know is generally seen as the right thing so you reinforce that even if maybe you don't necessarily agree with the details of it right it's the larger points um start to sink in and then for me after i don't know six months to a year i started being able to think straight and make correct decisions based on logic mm-hmm. even though before when my head was all fucked up I thought I was thinking logically and making, you know, sound, you know, deductions, but I wasn't. So, I, so I don't know that this can work for the acute suffering addict. What do you think about that? I think, I think once the physical substance is out of your system, then you are just as able to think clearly as you were before. And here's why I say that, because the very fact that you've decided 
to stop thinking and to embrace a program like AA means that you have made a decision, a thoughtful decision, mm-hmm. that that is the way to progress. So you have not suspended your thinking. You have just made a decision. So I don't, I don't see how it, and, and to engage with the program and to do that work mm. is thinking. It's thinking. So, so once you detox, which yeah. I can see how you need, there, there may be a medical need for detox. There may be yeah. some value in 30 days out of the environment that you were in yeah. to allow all this stuff to leave your, your system. But at that point, I don't see why AA is any more magical than any other, any other um, process for you to recover. Maybe it's not. I, I mean, I don't know. That that's been my experience. I don't, yeah, it's it's. Not, I feel like I'm getting so far from the way I was thinking that it's hard for me to kind of remember mm-hmm. exactly what was going on. So I'm sort of. But what I do know about this book is that now, or a year ago when I first read it, um, it the state that I'm in currently, it was helpful because now I'm in a my body isn't craving at all. Um, my mind isn't really even craving it at all. And once, once I got to a point where my body and mind weren't really craving it, but sometimes it were, then that's when this really started being effective for me. Um, because I could think and it'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. Like we are being kind of like duped into thinking that this is like a, a positive, happy, fun, refreshing thing to do, you know? I mean, that that's part of her, um, approach is to sort of, take on big alcohol and um, explain how you're being uh, manipulated, which like that resonated with me. I'm going to be talking more about that, but that's just a part of it. The other part of it is just getting your head around the idea that everything that you believed about drinking and using is wrong. Right. Like it's it's resetting your head. And, And if you can reset your head with AA, why can't you reset your head with this naked mind. I mean, it's basically the same thing. You're, you're changing the way you think about your using. Hmm. Maybe, maybe you reset your heart with AA and reset your mind with this see, naked there, mind. See, there you, there you got to interject that spiritual component. Yes. See, well, because I, I, I was, I feel like the spiritual component, which is great. Get, maybe keeps me clean more than it got me clean. Okay. How about that? I think spiritual spirituality and recovery is a wonderful thing. I don't think it should be a necessary thing. No. Uh, and I agree. And, and I'm guilty of in the past of poo pooing atheist recovery uh, programs and things like that. Um, but which, that I, which I don't think this is an atheist program. No, it's just a, it's, it's takes the position that yeah. your spirituality is not relevant to your recovery. Right. Yeah. Unless you need it to be, in which case, have at it. Either way, <laughs> I feel like this should at least be m- more visible in, in early recovery. Like, I didn't ever have, like, the few things that really ended up working for me were not mentioned to me when I was, like, really needing help, like, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the things, like, the medication I ended up, that, that got rid of my cravings pretty much permanently, I never even heard of until mm-hmm. I met this doctor. Um, it was three years ago. Well, was when when I overdosed was it was January fourth, two thousand eighteen. So, um, um, you well, know. when you went into a program, they didn't hand, they handed you a, a big book, but you get, not like any other book, right? 
Well, yes. So the the big book is the main thing they give you or the NA basic text, whatever you can get your hands on the seminars and things. Cause you're constantly, and every day you're at a 12 step meeting of some kind, Mm -hmm. including you even got GA meetings sometimes. Right. Um, and um, that book has a plan in it. It's uh, you know, 12 steps, 12 steps. This book has a plan in it too. What is the plan? What change your way of thinking, but, but that's change your way of thinking. Same thing. AA is doing to your brain. Yeah, but I could have told you that you don't need a book to tell you. You got to change it. <laughs> well, I don't know. Really? All I know is if I didn't right, maybe, maybe I, I needed, I needed this book maybe I because did. I couldn't make it more than a day. Yeah. Hmm. I would keep my, my brain was so wired for that five o'clock booze yeah. every day. And every time I went, it, it's, you know, trigger identification, change the way you think about triggers, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That stuff never worked for me when I was in um, all of that trigger shit. Like when I was in rehab, rehab, you know, they, they do these classes, relapse prevention, mm-hmm. and, you know, they have catchy, stupid names for their pro like stinking thinking and, um, mm-hmm. and all that. And you sit through these things and Re- relapsed long before you ever picked up the drink. Yes, of course. Yeah. The relapse happens weeks before you pick yeah. up sometimes months. Listen, um, whatever, man, different strokes are different folks. If people, people like that and that works, then you know what? Fine. The, the, so the more I think about this and what I went through, the more I think that there is no answer for everybody. I, I agree. Which is why it's so easy to say, just abstain. Don't touch anything. That's the, that, that's almost like an easy way to, you know, just don't, don't use, put the plug in the jug, Mike. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the only thing that would work for me. I, I can't imagine I would go out and have a glass of, anyway. Yeah. So I wonder if, if you got this early in recovery as, as if it was as prominent as the 12 steps, I wonder, do you think this would work for someone like who just got into rehab, you know, they, they went out the night before, like, you know, so many of us do get wasted. You come into rehab, you're on detox medications, you're, you know, are you ready for this naked mind? You know, why not? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I really don't know. I, I, I never had a problem with day one. It was day two. That was always the problem. That's interesting. Um, cause with a hangover, it's easy not to drink the day you have a hangover. Or, I don't know, I was used to drink when I had a hangover. It made me feel better. I, d- I just discovered that within yeah. the last year of my drinking was how much drinking the day after all that drinking was actually helpful for the hangover. <laughs> I had never sort of... You never put that together? No, I was always too guilty. felt Cared. too guilty. I, I, I'll yeah. be an alcoholic if I do that. <laughs> um, and so that brings us to chapter nine here in the notes, right? Did we go through, is alcohol liquid courage yet? No. Okay. Oh, I missed it. Liminal point. Right. I forget what a liminal point is. Isn't that the one that's like in the side space or something? Uh, it's one of the side space, but it's, it's, it's commonly held assumptions about alcohol that are completely wrong. So in this one, mm-hmm. it's the idea that alcohol gives you liquid courage uh-huh. when in actuality, um, you know, that's, that's the wrong question. The, the question is, you know, what's the value of fear and how is fear and courage associated with one another? Right. Right. So she's talking about our natural like defenses to things. Right. So, you know, fear allows us. It, we evolved to have fear. It's good. Yes, it's, it's good. You, it helps us make good decisions and prevents us from taking unnecessary risks. Um, and courage is actually doing what's right or just despite being afraid. Mm. So alcohol, as usual, 
gets in there and fucks everything up. So when you rely on it to decrease your fear, you fail to prepare for what confronts you. She used the example of, um, uh, she would do a lot of public speaking. So she would always have a a couple of these small wine bottles in her purse and Mm -hmm. hit the bathroom before making the speech and, you know, the airplane bottles, Yeah, grab a few slugs and and get (laughs) up there. And she said, you know, she was never noticeably drunk on stage, but she was getting to that point. And her, um, her public speaking engagements are often sort of lackluster and, and not very good because, you know, the alcohol was actually increasing the anxiety rather sure. than decreasing it and making it harder. I, I can attest to that because not that I've ever really um, imbibed before giving a public you, speech. You never did. I, I, no, I never did, but I would, I did plenty of them hung over and that that's the worst. It's the worst, but it's also the best because I used to try cases with raging hangovers <laughs> and there is a, a bit of the fear is, is sort of gone because your higher level animalistic thinking is subdued when you have a hangover. Right. So I don't know if it, I, I was trying to leverage my hangovers to help me like in the courtroom. And, and I know there's a lot of lawyers that do that. How did it work? Out? Um, it didn't it work out well. I, it actually, you can't think on your feet, uh, you know, if you, if you have a terrible hangover and when you're doing public speaking, you know, I, I got to the point where I was writing everything down and I was going to say, and if I deviated it from it one bit, I was completely lost because Ugh. I just did not have the mental acuity to go back right. and sort of focus on it. But, um, I don't know. She said something like, like very intense at the end of this chapter was that drinking to shut out life is the act of a coward, not the act of, of courage. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, that's true. I mean, one of the worst parts about not drinking and using is when something happens, you have to deal with it. <laughs> you right. have to feel it. Yes. Um, but that's what we're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's called living life and, and being a, an adult. And that's part of the this naked mind thing is, is getting, getting you to experience your life unfiltered because that's the natural state. Right. You know, she talks a lot about in the book about remembering back to when you were a child before you, uh, right. she says something like, re- think back to when, before you ever had your first drink, were you happy? Like mm-hmm. you think right now that I can't get through today without a drink. Well, think back to the last time you could get through today without a drink. And, and how did you feel? Mm-hmm. And, um, and did you know that you can feel that way again? Like yeah. you don't have to be eight years old to get, uh, to have a good time, not drink like pizza. Think about pizza parties and just watching our kids. Like mm-hmm. they have a party, they're running around in circles right. and playing games and talking to each other. Soda, and pizza. That's don't, it. They don't need to get wasted. Right. They're just, um, and, and, and the point she makes is that that doesn't have to, like mature out of you. Like, <laughs> right. And that's what we talk about a lot in programs and recovery is that you can still have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a point that keeps a lot of people using is what am I going to do? But How am I, I going to have fun? How am I going to watch football? I remember thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of people associate, um, the idea of, of drinking with fun, like just completely imp- improperly. I mean, it's much more fun not to be fucked up. <laughs> it is. And, but, and, but, but yeah. I would never have realized, I would never have thought that yeah, you know, had two you years got, ago. Exactly. Right? You have yeah. to get some space from it. Um, I had a sponsor named Brian a, a while ago and he made a pretty good, when I was first meeting with him to work with him, uh, he said he made a good point. He, we were talking about quitting drinking and, and using, he goes, make a list. He says, give me like the 10 
make 10 really great, purely great, nothing bad happened and you had just a wonderful time memories from using or drinking and then make a list mm-hmm. of catastrophic, horrible things <laughs> that have happened right. and just do it and bring it to me. And so, you know, because he knew exactly what was going to happen. I came up with like two that I could remember that had no issues right? and, you know, dozens of catastrophic, horrible mm-hmm. things that have happened, you know, and he's like, well, <laughs> there you go. There you have it. You don't, you know, cause we all have those few good times like that. You went out, you were a kid. It was great. Mm-hmm. Nothing horrible happened. You didn't end up in jail. You didn't lose your driver's license. Your wife didn't leave you. And, um, you know, those good times are usually <laughs> early on in your drinking career. Very early, very early. And that's why it's so seductive. Cause you know, you don't lie to um, people and, and tell them you don't want that. That's no, you know, you say like, yeah, it'll feel good for about whatever it is. Yeah. First time maybe. And then <laughs> you either have to stop or you have to keep pouring more on top of it uh, to the, keep the same the thing. cost benefit analysis is not but in favor it, of it just tells you like how deep the conditioning goes like yeah because i like the grateful dead right i went to a lot of grateful dead shows when i was a kid and they, they i was very blissed out all the time in there um dancing and listening to the music and stuff and then um i quit drinking for a few years in the 90s right so i would go running and i would put uh throw a a cassette in my Walkman and press play. And it was, it was a dead show and I would be running and I would be having the same high off that music when I was running, which is sort of like dancing anyway, uh, as I would at the show flying on, you know, three hits of acid. And, and yet like every time I would go to a, to a show, to a dead show or whatever came after the dead, over the last 10 years, like I would feel like I needed to get fucked up because that was my original experience with the band was that I had to be high on drugs or alcohol to enjoy the music and Mm. totally forgetting about the fact that I'd spent several years running and listening to, to the dead with the same, you know, physical feelings. So it's, it really is like putting that stuff in the forefront of your consciousness is how you change your mind. Like you got to think about shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and they say, play the tape forward. That's an old saying. Think about the dead tape forward. How is it? Yeah. (laughs) Play the, play the live bootleg forward. Anyway, sorry, that was just a. I'm sorry. It was like a diversion into how my mind works. But uh, are we at chapter nine? We are at chapter nine. Oh shit, we're stuck. Oh it's shit, we're nine. stuck. Alcohol use puts you behind bars in a prison of your own making. Does it really? Well, eventually, what is that? Is that, Nic- is that tr- Nicorette? I'm trying to chew Nicorette gum and. Paul, you're recording the podcast? I know. It was a bad idea. Now I regret it. That's okay. I'm regretting it now. It's fine, man. It's better than, you know, whatever else you were planning on doing to get nicotine into your body. (laughs) I was going to boof it. (laughs) Is that up up your ass? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Can you boof nicotine? Well, people do coffee enemas. I don't know why, but people do. Does it work? I wonder. Um, Alcohol use puts you behind bars. Well, it, it doesn't just put you in a in a prison of your own making. It, it put me in a prison of uh, Nassau County's making. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my joke? Thank you. Um, yeah, um, no doubt. You know, um, there's a lot of mer- metaphorical prisons and <laughs> ideological hells you can be in, but <laughs> it'll actually put you in a real right. prison. Physical prison. A physical yes. prison. Yeah. Um, but yes. So uh, what was she uh, talking about there? I mean, you wrote that one. Oh, uh, well, the next line I wrote is handcuff analogy. So she, she has this, um, she says, that, okay, so think of alcohol 
Think of being addicted to alcohol as, um, imagine you are the father in a household and you wake up one day and you find you have a set of handcuffs on. Handcuffs being sort of representative of your being yoked to uh, alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. And um, everybody's like, you got to get those handcuffs off, right? But nobody can really tell you how to do it. So your wife takes you to the doctor and your doctor says, you know, you can't really do anything with those handcuffs on you. Uh, but the doctor doesn't tell you how to get them off. There's really no, you know, they, they tell you to, you really shouldn't have those on, right? but it doesn't tell you how to get rid of nobody's them, showing right? you how, yeah, like you yeah. gotta, you gotta, you gotta get out of those handcuffs or else you're just going to be, you know, um, yeah, so nobody seems to know what to do. Nobody knows what to do and people want to stop, but they, but cause who would choose alcohol over your family or your kids who would choose drugs over your family? Like, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, that, and that's the, like, like the things my, my parents used to say, think, just do it for your kids. And it's like, hello, don't you think that if that were an option for me, like the, that was the way I saw right. it. There'd be no addict parents. Of course, I would never, <laughs> you know, it's not a question of are your children worth it to you? It's just not. Right. And anybody who has actually been addicted to drugs or alcohol would agree with me. It's the people who have never been there that would say, I yeah. could never do right. that. Well, cause that's because they're looking at it as a moral choice. Exactly. And, um, I don't know, maybe it was a moral choice when I started when I was 14 and I didn't have such great morals. I don't well, know. your prefrontal lobe wasn't <laughs> developed. So you, 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 that decision, you know, you're not responsible for that decision. I agree. Entirely. I am not responsible. You know who is responsible? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no marketers. Oh, marketers. Yeah. yeah. And here's where she, she starts getting into the, the conditioning. Um, you so Mark, I, I happen to be a marketing guy. I'm just putting that out there. So if this is going to be a bash marketing guys thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's is all my, you know, marketers are good at what they do. I mean, and the best ones have psychologists on their staff and, and know how to get inside your head and mm -hmm. fuck with you and certain um, colors. Actually, they used to, I used to design websites for in finance and we it would always have to be like, it has to be a calm, like a blue or mm. you'll see banks use green. Mm -hmm. Like you'll never see a bank for the most part. Use red. Like just red. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bank of America is red, white, and blue. Like, yeah. so there's a lot of that stuff. If you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, th th you could just, there's a lot of that. It's very interesting. It is psychology. Interesting. It's interesting how you don't, how marketers typically do not. Um, well, what I found interesting is like the commercials that you watch, right? It's, it's not about like the best commercials are not about the, the product. Um, They're about the person. They speak very little about the product being sold, but mostly about what void that product is going to fill in your life. Right. And they have to see themselves and the person on the screen. Yeah. That's why you'll see but different- But getting into your subconscious. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You have to see yourself. That's why you'll see different ads for the same thing with different color people, different age people. Mm. It's because they're trying to cast their net. They want you to see you in that commercial. Hmm. Is that why like- I'd like to buy the world of Coke where everyone's dancing through the field, singing about Coca-Cola. Yes. And they're all different kinds of people and all united in their love for Coca-Cola. Everybody. That's probably exactly what they were thinking. Yeah. Actually. It's a, it's, but, uh, yeah, I might uh, go to, I, I was thinking about grad school. I mean, I know I'm getting off, off the book here, but I want to go to grad school and I haven't figured out what I'm going for. You should learn how to manipulate people through marketing. But I already do that. You could get a degree in it. I could. <laughs> you I could don't get, need a degree in that. Do you? Psychology. Yeah. Psychology. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, m marketing. Yeah. We, we definitely, you know, every time they show an athlete, 
you know, getting a refreshing drink of Coors Light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're right. Uh, or, or the sexy commercials where it's like, oh, so all the sexy people are, you know, drinking uh, sweaty glasses of scotch. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but that's completely like an opposite to what alcohol actually is. And, and that's, <laughs> that's why marketing is, it's like turning the lights on at 3am at a frat party and seeing what's really going on. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at everything. Uh, I mean, a horror show. If, if you, if, if you can, if they can hook you on the product, the product then sells itself, right? Yeah, exactly. It's why cigarettes. So what do you sell when you're selling alcohol? You're selling an end to loneliness, right? You need for freedom. Refreshment is always the one that yeah. uh, perplexed me the most because no sex, one, sex, sex. Yes. <laughs> if you want to get laid, you definitely got to get a drunk guy. So here you go. Yeah. Here's your six pack of Zima. I mean, right. But the reality is the actual product being sold is ethanol. Yeah. It's like a addictive poison <laughs> and the product's normal use results in poisoning. Uh, true. They don't talk about the side effects. Like, you know, any other kind of drug side effects may include, you know, your wife right. leaving you. Right. Well, right. Any other drug, you have to have a disclaimer like that. Not, not alcohol. Right. Cause it's a socially acceptable drug. Um, um what about the uh, surgeon general's warnings? Ladies don't drink while you're pregnant. Right. Dummy. Not like, <laughs> don't drink other times though. Right. You, you can get wasted the minute the baby comes out. Right. <laughs> In fact, at the hospital, oh, this is when, when I, both of my children, um, and this was great because uh, I was seriously in bad shape when both my kids were, were born. Sadly, actually, that's another sad story I'll tell another time. But um, I remember once we were in the recovery room, they had champagne for us, mm-hmm. like a little mini bottle and two glasses. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I needed, like, And my wife had just given birth, of course, right. you know, everything she should have you know, been able to uh, not have to worry about her husband being this degenerate. <laughs> I feel awful about that. Uh, but, uh, well, sorry. look, every day I'm making up for it. Um, yeah. Making a uh, living amends, but uh, I think I, I, I wore out the phrase, I'm sorry, <laughs> think yeah. like most of us. Well, but it's like a mantra. You can keep saying I'm it. Sorry, and eventually there'll be a re- result inside of you. Well, that's why I, uh, that's why I do so many foot rubs, guys. <laughs> but um, listen, I think we should probably wrap this up for today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were going to want to do one more show on this. Yeah, because we got to get past the, we got to find what the actual process is for that's what i want revamping yeah. the cognition right because right? so my big yeah question is okay great sounds like a great idea what's the right like what is the program what right. is the plan because she talks about this naked mind program and how many people she's got a huge radio show that uh, actually we don't call it radio anymore do we podcast podcast what are the kids calling it these yeah. days and um mike is going to be appearing next week right but they don't air it Straight I don't think so. Okay, so yeah. we'll get the air dates case, for everybody. In case I end up sounding yeah. like a raging, raving lunatic, she doesn't want to have to put it out right. the next day. Um, so having said all of that, let's mark down where we ended. What was the last thing we talked about here? Alcohol is the main cause of sexual dysfunction in men, despite what advertising would have you believe. Great. I don't want to tackle that this week. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, so having said all of that, we are now. Where are we not? Recovery in the news. Mm. 
So, uh, can you read this? Even you, though I wrote it, you have brought this story to, to us covering this week. the news. Um, naltrexone bupropion helps for meth addiction, but not a lot. That is the worst headline. <clears throat> I think that's Vanity Fair. So, naltrexone, uh, a combination of naltrexone and bupropion was helpful in slightly reducing drug use for those struggling with methamphetamine use disorder, according to a double-blind, placebo-controlled study. During the 12-week trial, 13.6% of participants treated with 380 milligrams extended-release injectable naltrexone, otherwise known as Vivitrol, every three weeks plus 450 milligrams a day of oral extended-release bu- uh, well, butrin had at least three methamphetamine-negative urine samples versus only 2.5% of those who were on placebo. Reported... Dr. Trevity of the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas and colleagues. I think this is probably bullshit. Why is it bullshit? It's it's in MedPage today is where I found that. Well, two reasons. One, the low inclusion of women and participants self-reporting, which is how they collected the data, self-reporting of drug addicts being notoriously accurate, right? Yes. Um, reporting of the oral bupropion were acknowledged as study limitations. Plus, it seems like the effect was light enough that it would be within the margin of natural error, wouldn't it? I mean, so maybe. is there any reason this should work? I guess is my question. Yes, and that's why I, I included it. Okay. Um, so the reason why I thought this was interesting was because I took Vivitrol. I learned a lot about Vivitrol in, in uh, rehabs and things. And... Um, there was this doctor, and God, I can't remember his name, but he made his career as a brain scientist, basically. He was a funny dude. He had a hat. He would come into the rehab, and his, he didn't work there, but he was like about educating addicts on like what's really going on with their brains. Right. So it was cool. So we got to sit there and listen to, to hear about his research. And so he's, I forget what university he was at. Uh, God, I got to figure that out. But uh, he had a really great presentation on like what Vivitrol actually does and how it affects the body. I've talked about this a little bit before. Right. Uh, and basically first he described how craving works in the body, why we crave things. Um, and he has it broken down through his scientific studies that there are these circular globules in the brain that, um, they're supposed to be, uh, they're not supposed to be too gelatinous. They're supposed to be, uh, tight. Um, but, but it's like a gel. It's okay. a kind of a gel that they're made out of. So when your body feels craving, it's because those receptors or whatever they are, and I apologize for not having the proper nomenclature, but if you can picture them, they shake. So mm-hmm. those are like just shaking in your brain while you're craving. So now Trexone, the physical action on the body is that those little craving globules, um, don't shake. It, it solidifies them a little bit. So you don't, get that feeling of the physical craving. Right. Um, and so according to that doctor at the time, and this is years ago before this came out, he actually said like, look, Vivitrol, like, yes, it blocks opiates. Okay. And that was a happy side effect that they discovered after they developed it. Oh, I see. But it was really developed for alcohol because it acts on all cravings. Ah. And, and so, um, and that's why I like, like maybe this study doesn't really give us definitive evidence, but um, it reminded me that naltrexone is supposed to be, and it was for me, a, a miracle cure pretty much against all of my cravings. Mm. I mean, I also took... That's, that's interesting. It is. Well, because I also took Campril, 
which was a pain in the ass to take. It's two pills three times a day. Um, And I took that. That's another craving killer. Mm -hmm. I took that for like six months along with Vivitrol. And I didn't want to smoke. I didn't want to drink. I didn't have that feeling that so many of us get right after we've, you know, Mm -hmm. lost our drug of choice or whatever. And so it allowed me to focus more on, and on top of it, it blocked opiates. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, miracle drug. It it's it was for me, it worked like a miracle drug and I can see why it okay. helped. It could be helpful for meth addiction. I think they need to study it a little more and sure. try and try and tease out why the results were not so stellar though. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're on the right track. You know what I mean? That's fascinating. Um, I, I, I really, anything that can help. I, from what I understand, meth addiction is its own type yeah. of hell to be in. Yeah. And it, so, so that's really interesting. I don't know. Ask your doctor if you're struggling. Um, I feel like I'm one of those commercials. Ask your doctor <laughs> about Naltrexone. Naltrexone is right for you. Right. So that's recovering the news. Yeah. And you are going to read This Week in Weird. The Week in Weird, which is, according to your notes, not Gwyneth Paltrow's exploding vagina. Yeah, sorry, oh, Sergeant Slaughter. That, that was his, he wanted me to do that story. But I found something that's more paranormal, but we are getting some contributors from the audience. But today, I promise we will get back to Gwyneth Paltrow's exploding vagina another day. Sorry. Uh, could the Loch Ness Monster be an ancient sea turtle? A scientist who has spent decades researching the Loch Ness Monster has put forth a fascinating new theory, which argues that the creature could be an ancient sea turtle. (laughs) The thought-provoking idea is reportedly the brainchild of Dr. Henry Bauer, a retired chemistry professor from, (laughs) of course, from Virginia Tech, who developed a personal interest in Scotland's famed cryptid back in the 1980s and has written several papers, as well as a book on the creature. In his latest work, which was published last spring, but only gained, recently gained attention from the media, he dismisses the popular notion that Nessie might be a pleosaur or perhaps a giant eel, and instead offers a rather fantastic alternative. Uh, yeah, he I posits that the rarity of surface sight, <laughs> this is a lot to yeah, read, and as well as the occasional sightings on land, would seem to preclude the possibility that the creature is a pleosaur. Sightings on land? <laughs> On the contrary, he contends that everything described for the Loch Ness Monster would seem to match the description of many living and extinct species of turtles. Um, okay. Specifically, he notes Nessie reports would appear to indicate that the mysterious creatures in Loch Ness are air-breathing but spend long periods of time in deep water. I confess this is more than I've thought about the Loch Ness Monster probably <laughs> in my entire life. Well, um, that's, that's part of why I chose this article because I feel like there people are just not aware of how much <laughs> research and brain power is globally being dedicated to fu- figuring out what's going on at Loch Ness. Everybody just, needs a hobby. I mean, what else is a retired chemistry professor <laughs> supposed to do? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I don't so, know. Thank you. Uh, and that's This Week in Weird. It is. Um, we've had such a great show. I'm so it uh, is. Thank so you for joining us on our journey into the subconscious. Um, thanks, everybody. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Tweet us at twat you twit. That's twice now. On Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever great podcasts are sold, please um, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Submit your story for a new segment called your story. It's not actually new anymore, but <laughs> an old segment an that old no segment one pays that any attention responds to. to. Also, here's the new thing. It's called Ask Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, added questions for cops. Um, our good buddy, Sergeant Slaughter, has agreed to take questions from all of you degenerate addicts out there who are looking to evade the police. 
Um, he will be anonymous. You <laughs> this can is ask a public anything. service, man. It really is. <laughs> so send us an email at natx at middleagesrecovery.com. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next week, guys. Be good. Thank you.